The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to create a life that's intentional and dynamic? Welcome to The Intentional Spirit with your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. Welcome everyone and thank you so much for tuning in. It's always a pleasure to connect with you each and every week here on The Intentional Spirit. And as you know, and we often remind ourselves that, you know, the key in life is to be intentional. So many people live life according to what's going on, um, events, weather, what the news is telling them and those kind of things. And intentional spirits find their way as a difference maker. They allow themselves to be shape shifted through the events in their lives, the tragedies, the experiences, the health or lack of or challenges or just true intention of the love of life. Um, And that being said, Um, People are shaped through that and they allow life to shape them into the definition of of what their life purpose is by being who they are. So I'm thrilled today to introduce you to Deborah Gall. Um, She is an incredible author and she has a lot to share with us. Deborah, welcome to the show today. Well, thank you, Temple. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, I'm I'm just really delighted to uh, to talk with you. And uh, tell me, uh, how did you get on the journey that you are now? I mean, how yeah. has your life so, through the um, years um, led you to have a passion about what you're doing? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. I mean, you're talking about intentional lives, and um, I felt for many years that mine was kind of unintentional. But uh, as a as a young um, as a young girl growing up, I loved theater. I was always active in theater. My mother had uh, dabbled in acting, and I think she was a frustrated actor. So she threw me onto the stage at, at a young age, and I just loved theater, and I wanted to be an actor um, when I got older. But, you know, life took me in a different direction. My father had a company. There was no one to take it over, and I needed uh, to work rather than be starry-eyed. So I ended up working for him, and that led me to run the company. He got ill about a year after I started working there, and I took over the company and built it into the largest market share company of its kind in the Midwest. I sold money uh, to DuPont, and then I ended up running a wholly-owned subsidiary for them uh, for a number of years Um it was a company that had about 70 locations across the country and a performa of around a half a billion dollars. And uh, so it was, you know, it was a unique experience. So I got to be both an entrepreneur and a corporate exec. And, and you don't mess um, around, huh? You either go big or go home. That's what I yeah, hear. Yeah, <laughs> well, why not? You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna show up, uh, show up big. So, uh, but then uh, life took another turn, and uh, I went through some personal upheaval. 
I went through a divorce. I met my husband who lived in Newport Beach, and I decided to uh, move to Southern California to marry him. And I uh, naively thought, well, I'll just do my job from Southern California, even though the subsidiary was uh, home-based in Kennesaw, Georgia. So needless to say, DuPont said, that's ridiculous. We're not doing that. And they were absolutely right. So I resigned from that position. I promoted someone who had been my heir apparent on the West Coast. I took his job on the West Coast, and he took mine, and I did that for maybe a few more years. And then I just hit a brick wall. There were um, several things that were, were brewing at that point in my personal life. My uh, I had a uh, son who evidenced with bipolar disorder. My mother had Alzheimer's. And um, I just kind of took a step back, and all of a sudden I realized I was not the person I needed to be. Um, I wanted to get back in touch with my creativity. I was I wanted to be to my family, and I left uh, corporate life. I was coaching entrepreneurs and corporate execs and writing leadership seminars for women, but all of that felt very empty. I creativity. So I went back to school and took any kind of course I could. I wanted to be an actor originally, but I knew I wasn't going to do that at this stage of my life. That just didn't make any sense. But I thought maybe writing would feel the same. And so I started on that journey, and lo and behold, it felt exactly the same as acting. I was creating imaginary characters. I was emotionally resonating with them, and the only difference is I was taking what I was feeling and imagining and putting it onto the page uh, rather than memorizing somebody else's lines. So that stuck for me, and um, it gave me an opportunity to write some stories that really opened up areas of my life and were helpful to my family as well. So that was kind of how I made, I'm fast-forwarding through this transition that I made, but that was how I found uh, what I really think I was supposed to be doing. It took me a very long time, but that's, you know, how things work sometimes. Sometimes you need to build a little life experience so that you have something to say, I think. And maybe I was at a certain point when I finally had uh, some experiences chalked up that I had a story to tell. So, oh, what a what a beautiful story, and and what courage it takes. A um, a, a window of your story is reminding me of um, a guest we had back in uh, November, um, the incredible Fanny Flagg. You know, her story is very oh, similar yes. in that That's- way that being an actress and um, uh, writing for different TV shows and those kind of things, and then not ever really knowing the depth of the writer that she was and, yeah, um, and transformed Actually, her life uh, into I being, would, she, of course, a very you know successful writer. But that's, that's the path you chose, so uh, good for you. You know, yeah. um, you found your niche. You found your, your door, you know, of um, being guided in that, in that direction. And which book was first? I, I, I'm looking well, at dream, two books, Synchronicities on the Avenue of the Saints, um, right. and also uh, actually, the, the Dream, dream Stitcher. Was, which book was first? 
Yeah, the first book, um, actually, that, that came out was The Dream Stitcher. But, ironically, I actually wrote, or at least I, I crafted the majority of synchronicities on the Avenue of the Saints first. And, yeah, you know, that was, that was the story that kind of got me onto the path. Uh, of writing, and it was kind of born out of, you know, what for me were some very dark times, um, and and found the light um, through my experiences with um, a shaman whose name is Dr. Maladoma Somay, and um, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he is um, an elder with the Dagara tribe in Burkina Faso, and um, I came in touch with him because I had read, when when I was going through a very dark time um, trying to help my son through uh, a difficult time with bipolar disorder, conventional uh, therapies and medication weren't working at that point. Um, They did eventually, but not at that point. And so I was reading an alternative medicine book and found a couple of paragraphs about this African shaman who took an 18-year-old bipolar patient to live with his tribe in Africa. Because in his culture, anyone with uh, a mental illness was seen as a gateway to the spirit world. They were the ones that had messages from the spirit world that they were trying to come through, and the messages came through in a chaotic manner, but they had the real truth. And um, because in that culture, this young man, this young 18-year-old bipolar patient, was seen as revered rather than reviled, he healed. And he came back to the United States. He finished a medical degree at Harvard and became a doctor. So I was fascinated by that. I ended up, um, I read Dr. Somay's works, and I ended up uh, going to a, uh, weekend intensive with him, and that led me. Uh, he gave me an invitation to spend a week with his twelve shamans in the making. These were people that that felt that they were shamans and they were learning um, ritual and indigenous beliefs. And so all of that led to my writing of synchronicities on the Avenue of the Saints. So that was that was the first foray, and it opened a door for me. Um, as you said, it opened the writing door, and then the the story of the dream stitcher kind of followed right after that. Wow, that's so uh, so powerful, and um, you're probably not aware. I'm a uh, shamanic practitioner myself, and I have been I in know. the throes of shamanism <laughs> since um, I don't know the last 25 years, and I I can't imagine my life without the experience and without the awareness. And it is amazing um, that it's so ancient and so available to people, and yet we still tend to, in the uh, larger sense, lean towards new practices and things, and there's nothing wrong with that, of course, but we have this ancient medicine that's right in front of us called nature, Um, you know, the science of remembering who we are, that intuitive faculty, that, that natural path, and and the, the other part of it is that doing soul retrieval on so many people through the years or recapitulation or all of those things that you're talking about, those rituals, 
it's been profound to me to see the psychology of a person change, um, right. the disease, the disease and the discord fade away, uh, a whole new emerging of, of self, um, women that are raped or abused or, you know, the list goes on and on and on that we right. have this tremendous ability, you know, provided to us. And it still shocks me in my own well, perception how few people know about it. <laughs> you right. Know, um, well, no, that's that's exactly right. And I, I was interested in writing um about these, uh, there's nothing in the book that is my experiences. It's a fictional novel, but the character in the novel um, is a shaman in the making. And um, I was interested in writing in novel form about this whole experience and about our separateness from nature and about the necessity for us to bring those ancient those indigenous beliefs into a modern world of concrete steel and wires as a way to heal, as a way to make the world whole. And I wanted to do it in novel form for people that might not be drawn to read this in a non-fictional way. You know, we all get information from different in different ways. And so in some regards, I was really trying to write a new myth, a new mm-hmm. myth about mm-hmm. I the world I think it's brilliant. Healing. I think it... I think you've nailed it. I think the direction that you're going and the window that you're using, uh, you know, is immensely powerful because you're right. I mean, there's people they're delving in thinking they're reading, you know, something that's not true, but a novel. But yet the teachings, you're still laying them in there. You know, they're they're still being revealed. So, yeah, I've been very excited to talk to you about the book because and the books because um, and I love the covers. You know, and everyone, I'm talking to Deborah Gall. You can go on her website, Deborah, spelled out D E B O R A H Gall, G A A L, DeborahGall.com, and look at her beautiful writings, her work, and find out more about her as we're continuing our conversation today on Unity Online Radio. So, just just such a such a blessing here. Um, I, I love the illustration of your your book, the graphics yeah, on the cover of great, the Dream I, Stitcher. I love the cover too. I, I just uh, it was a wonderful collaboration with the artist. I you know just gave her a few notes and asked her to. I, I think she only read the few paragraphs that I asked her to read to get some idea of of what was going on in it. And wow, she just she really she really nailed it. So I'm I'm thrilled with it. But um, yeah, the cover is fun and the story is fun. It's meant to be a fun story. It's not quite, you know, it sounds very esoteric and heavy, but it's not. It's fun like all novels. It's got funny parts and sad parts and all of that. But, um, you know, my my intention is to give people uh, a window into seeing that, you know, we do have the ability to heal ourselves and therefore heal the world if we just can remember who we were in our bones and just go back to the source and not be so separate from nature i think mm-hmm. uh, i'm repeating things that you're saying because i think you and i are really very much on the same page mm-hmm. so um well, so that was the work are, of- you know this is what we came here for is to be here yes. during this time and to to offer the um what is, what is that saying? Uh, it's an old saying that when did you stop dancing? When did you stop singing? And when did you stop sharing those immense stories of your life and 
you know, of your heart. And, and it is, you know, as, as you and I were laughing before we ever started the show, you know, um, we're tuning into the synchronicities that are, you know, between us as we are conversing and going back and forth. And, and in language, what's beautiful is that often we are saying the same things that we say it a little bit different. And in my journey and where I am now, I would say that I really see that I was never broken in the first place. And as I could really own that and see that because I was created in the image and likeness of nature, then my world stopped seeming that way too. I didn't see my world broken anymore. You know, I didn't let breaking news break me anymore because I was able to see things from a different uh, heart and a different opening than I had yeah, ever that's beautiful. seen before. Well, and, you know, I think that's exactly think, what you're saying too, in another door and in another way. And um, yeah, I think I, in I some ways, it. you mm-hmm. know, we're we're all meant um, when we come here, we're meant to get broken in some way. Maybe it's just ordained that that's part of it. That we must be broken in order for us to see the world in a different way and use that as a as a new strength coming out of it and mm-hmm. you know take what we learn from that brokenness so to speak and make it stronger and help other people through their journeys i don't know i i can't imagine my life if i did not have some tough times to get through I Absolutely. Don't. And the way that I mean we're saying the same thing is that um, I'm talking about the core of, of who mm-hmm. I am as a birth space of creation was never broken. The psychology, right. yes. You know, the drama, absolutely. Just surviving myself as a teenager, you know, what are you going to do with that? Of course, absolutely. But the core is constant, you know. And what I loved about your, your writing um is that you talk about how you bring people from the darkness to the light. And I, I love that because that's another part of our, our human fascination is how people want to avoid the dark or the uncomfortable right. or, you know, of the space of growth or the chorillus between the cocoon and the butterfly. You know, those are all well-noted things towards a greater sense of freedom Uh, I was just uh, reading some of my older uh, writings in my book that I talk a lot about shamanism, but I was saying that one time here in our community, we did a seven-week course, and I think the name of the book was almost, you know, Walking from the Darkness to the Light, and how how people complained the first couple of weeks because they got so tired of reading about dark things. You know, they just couldn't wait. Like, well, I'm more comfortable talking about the happy stuff, you know. And um, <laughs> I'm like you. I, I can't imagine the journey, you know, without the things that create the create the dream stitcher, right? Create the, the space of right. energy or nature. Yeah, no, um, yeah, we we need to transcend, um, I mean, there's a beauty in transcending the dark and coming into mm-hmm. the light. It's it's a beautiful journey, uh, which I'm very grateful for. So, um, yeah, so that that was the core of synchronicities on the Avenue of the Saints, and, and I hope some people will have an, an interest in kind of reading it. It's supposed to be a new myth, and I think it's um, 
critical for the dark, you know, for, right now we're in a dark time and we're coming, we're starting to come out of that dark time, but we're in a little bit of a, um, a, a tough time and uh, we need uh, to recalibrate and we need to gather our strength and, and come through this in a new way. So anyway, it's the longest winter we've ever had. <laughs> it is definitely it the has been a winter. long winter for uh, over a year. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? Yeah, it's yeah, it, we we, we all lost sure. a year. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, the other aspect of my writing that that I'll mention um, is that I both of my novels are steeped in family legacy, and I do. Um, have a desire in my stories to remind everyone that they they have legacies that um, should be honored. You know, ancestors should be honored, and um, and there's everybody has a story. Everybody has some fascinating story to tell, and I like taking some things that have happened in my family and spinning them, and so they be they become stories. So the the Dream Stitcher um, was a story that was based on my mother's nearly decade-long journey to Needlepoint, a six-foot-wide by 14-foot-long Needlepoint um, of excerpts of the Bayou Tapestry. Um, oh, my Gosh, what an it, undertaking! Six it foot was long a by crazy, <laughs> a crazy undertaking, and she sewed obsessively for nearly a decade. And oh, I never asked my mother when I was young why she picked the subject matter of the Bayou. I don't know if you're familiar with the Bayou Tapestry, but it is. Um, the most iconic tapestry in the world it tells the story of the Norman conquest of England or the Battle of Hastings in 1066. And there, um, there are stories. I mean, the the, the tapestry uh, shows battle scenes. There are war scenes. Shows some other things, but the majority of it is war scenes. And I thought, why Very did my mother have right? this needlepoint? I mean, that's pretty intense. It was very intense, and I didn't understand why she had the desire to recreate war um, and spend all that time. And she, I knew she wanted to tapestry over her fireplace, but why that subject to matter? So by the time I thought to ever ask her that question, she had Alzheimer's and I couldn't get an answer. So I started to imagine all the reasons why a person might go on that journey. Was it because mm. you thought you were the reincarnation of Queen Matilda, who legend has it commissioned the tapestry as a way to honor her husband? Was it because you thought your life depended on it or your country or your people? So all of that reasons became the plot of the Dream Stitcher. It is a story of a young woman who has the ability to sow dreams into reality, and she uses that gift to raise money for guns and free her people during the 1943 Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. So it takes place in 1943. It takes place in current time during the um, Great Recession of 2008. goes back and forth in time and tells this family saga that connects these people. Um, anyway, that's the dream stitcher. Oh, my gosh. What a, what a rich story. Did your, is your mom dead now? Yes, yes, she uh -huh. she uh, 
She died about a decade ago. Um, and did she finish the needlepoint? Did she finish the needlepoint? Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, it it showed uh, it hung in the St. Louis Art Museum for a short period of time, and she had she had a moment with her tapestry. Um, that was that was something that she was she was very proud of. And then when I moved to California, um, I actually bought a home with a two story vaulted living room, which is exactly the kind of home she had. And so there was room for the tapestry. So she mm-hmm. sent me the tapestry. And because I lived with it for so long, I felt like I had to write about it. So that's, <laughs> that's how that happened. Um, so I used, I used that family story to infuse my writing, even though the story itself really has nothing to do with my family. I did the same thing with synchronicities on the Avenue of the Saints, which also goes back and forth in time. But in this case, there's a character um, who becomes who is a ghost, and she's in a pogrom in 1918 in Russia in the book. And her that character was based on um, a woman who saved my father's life in a 1918 pogrom in Russia. My father was the only male Jew to survive the pogrom. And he survived because my grandmother was a crazy woman. And because she was crazy, my grandmother knew that the Cossacks would not go into the house and therefore my father would be safe. And it worked. He was the only male Jew to survive. So in my writing of synchronicities, I wanted to thank the woman who had saved my father. I I don't know her name. I didn't know anything about her, but I created her as a character as a way to thank her. Wow. I just love this. This has been so creative, you know, what you have what you have done and how you've woven in, you know, these stories that they're they're everybody's story, really. I mean, we can all relate to you right. know, a level or uh, a part of that. I really yeah. applaud you. And what a what a shift, right, from the corporate world and teaching leadership to, you know, now writing novels that are life-changing. Everyone, um, I'm tuning in and talking with Deborah Gall today. You can go on her website, com. You can join me at templehays.com or firstunity.org and find out the various activities that we have ongoing and the various things that we're doing. We also have an online university that offers all different types of courses and classes, or if you are tuned in about shamanism, you will want to look at our spiritual leadership course because I have students all over the world and taking the courses, and we'd love to have you join in. Um, It's really a pleasure to have all of you tuning in with us today. And it's just really great to to be here. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to The Intentional Spirit with Reverend Temple Hayes. Welcome back, everyone, and I'm so glad you're here. If you are ready to step deeper and further into your own reality, 
um, join me on illy.org or templehaze.com to find out more about deep spiritual work and spiritual leadership. Love to have you know what we're doing. Um, Deborah, welcome back. I Somebody put on Facebook a few days ago, it's a beautiful uh, picture of an Indian, and it says, your ancestors outnumber your fears, fill their power. I just love oh, that's that. that's lovely. Yeah, that's right? great. And uh, before we went to break, we were um, talking about that the step that you took, the the big step, the into from yeah. you know exiting a world of the comfortable and the corporate world and something you knew very clearly to stepping into being the being the writer. Um, did you get nudged in any way? I mean, did you did you ever have anybody come up to you and say, I loved what you wrote in my card? You know, have you ever considered being a writer? Uh, how did you go from, you know, I know what well, you said about theater and, you know, things like that. But Yeah, um, it, it's funny that you said that because that actually kind of did happen, but in an odd way. So I was getting to the end of the movie with um, – with my work and the corporation and I just I I felt gosh kind of a phrase you know hard work or uh, is true work makes you hard um so you work hard and it makes you hard and I and I felt like that so I was getting toward the end of the movie and and realizing that those things had happened to me and that sometimes the false power or the false illusion of thinking that you were powerful, which is so silly, you know, because you had a job <laughs> and you know. had 5,000 people underneath you and you think, wow, I'm such a big deal. And I started to feel really <laughs> uncomfortable. And it's really just a lot of work and a heck of a right. lot of responsibility. Well, <laughs> and it's silly. You know, it's so silly that you start thinking that you are, you know, important in some way because of that. It's just, it's just false. So, but I realized I was truly at the end of the movie when I started to send out emails that were like stories. So I was tired of writing business emails, and then I would just, you know, write stories. Or And then finally, when I wrote a, a long email explaining why I was resigning and going off to marry my husband in Southern California, I started getting notes from other uh, people in different divisions in DuPont, um, mostly women who said, I cried buckets when I read your email. I've never read anything so thrilling in my whole corporate life. And I thought, you know what, maybe I'm a writer. Because <laughs> it was just a business email saying, you know, see you, bye, I'm resigning. But that was kind of the first inkling I, I had where I thought, well, maybe, maybe there's something there that I could do. But I think more than that, I was just so hungry to um, – to uncover those layers underneath, to get rid of that tough shell that I felt had um, encased me because of my years of working in business. And, um, you know, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like it was awful. It wasn't awful. I mean, I certainly enjoyed myself tremendously, but I was also aware that it was um, – 
kind of a false thing that happens to you in, in, in a corporation or I guess in any job where, where you feel like you're running it at the top, that somehow you're brighter or smarter or more clever than anybody else that, that works for you. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense, but that, that was a feeling that I had. Well, it's a true structure. That's a, it's a self-created structure, you know, and absolutely. And that, yeah. that part of that patriarchal system is, is still very much alive today. <laughs> you yeah, know, no, and, it and is. The and, ladder, and that was a you know, getting on top of the ladder. It's like, but nobody ever asked, well, where's the ladder going? You know, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You know, that was real shocking going? to me. The, the very few times I've gone back to my high school reunion because I never really I wanted to, but I, one time I did go after I think 20 years and, uh, it, it was just shocking to me that people were wanting to tell the impressive things, the title, the, you know, I'm right. a surgeon, I do, you know, blah, blah. And that's great. You know, good for you. But, you didn't really hear anybody talk about, are you happy? You know, right. are, are you That's, happy? Are you, are you enjoying your life? Would you, would you do it over again? Would this be where you would want to be? Where is that? It's such an illusion, isn't it? This false self that societal beliefs, you know, encourages really. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, for years had always, well, at least when I was younger, I had those desires for my children. You know, what do you, you know, I hope they'll be something. Well, no, you know, <laughs> it, being something is just being, just be. And whatever it is you do, it's kind of not as important as just being. So I've, I've had to make that shift. Um, and I think, you know, I think we see that more and more in our society. That so many people that have these big, you know, big careers that we, you know, that sound very impressive, and yet underneath, uh, the people aren't very impressive at all. And so that that whole false illusion comes to light. Um, so when at a certain point in my career, I felt like I was um, participating in that falseness and I wanted to be authentic I just wanted to be mm. you know that's what my um, my shaman teacher said on her dying bed um, she went by the title Queen Bee uh, and um, oh, wow. that's what that's what she said is that that she finally got to a place that she learned that's all there was to it is just to be, just to learn huh. to be. Mm-hmm. Well, how wonderful that you're um, validating what what I said in that way. That's that's lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, <clears throat> it's been it's been very powerful for me and fulfilling for me to make that journey and that shift. Um, from all of those years of, of being in business. And sometimes, you know, I, I look back on some of the things I did and said during that part of my journey, and I'm somewhat horrified that I wasn't more sensitive, that I couldn't have taken more time, that I um, had a level of, of judgmental um, attitudes 
towards someone just in the very nature of having to review someone's performance. Um, I, you know, I did things that made me feel disingenuous. And what is so thrilling for me in a, in a journey of writing, you know, which is a very quiet journey, sitting by yourself in a room and, and just letting your imagination and your creativity run, run wild. Um, it's just, there's, uh, you can't have any falseness. It's not possible because it's just you and the universe um, collaborating on a story. That's all it is. And it just feels very freeing not to have to worry about those layers of of judgment. Yeah, so so it, it it feels like um you know one of the things you're saying is that uh, you've really been able to open your heart so much um mm-hmm. and that that happens to us doesn't it when we release the boxes and the expectations and the that false self that we can develop you know quite well to a space of just um you know being open and letting things unfold um right I wonder, you know, when you're writing a level like that as a novel, and I've even thought that that will be my approach uh, for my fifth book, is to do a novel that of the characters, like you're saying, of that the things I've seen on spirit journeys and mm-hmm. things like that. And um, I think that you are right that, you know, with the little bit I know about it is that people are more apt to delve into it, you know, if it doesn't seem serious or self-helping, you know, we've kind of burned out, please, on self-help. We have so much self-help on social media. It's just, you know, at times you have to just, God, walk away. It's just too overwhelming. Right. Um, But that being said, with your, with your novel and with the characters, I mean, do your characters want to talk at one time? Um, Do they, you know, just kind of reveal themselves while you're in the midst of writing. I'm just curious, is there a particular process that you have? Yeah, so um, my process of writing is um, is very spiritual uh, and, and, you know, a little bit mystical. So I always start off um, my writing sessions where I light candles and I invite you know, the muses in, and depending on which story I'm, you know, writing, there'll be different muses. They may be, you know, writers who have passed on that I admire, or, you know, different groups of people. Like when I was writing The Dream Stitcher, I would call in um, members of the Polish Liberation Army and members of the Jewish um, Fighters Organization uh, during World War II, and um, all you know, just all kinds of different um, ancestors of characters that I was trying to create. And I would tell them to take my pen. I'm going to hand you my pen, and I will just write down what you tell me to write down. And so please feel free to just go anywhere you want to go. And so I allow myself as a writer to just listen and just be. And I will get images and they will tell me things. And I transcribe those. And then um, what happens is the story kind of builds up a little bit. I will start to get visits in the middle of the night. Um, I will have characters um, wake me up and tell me things. Um, so, 
sometimes, well, okay, in the writing of the Dream Stitcher, for instance, I had a character come and tell me that I didn't understand the story, I didn't know what was going on, and I needed to listen harder, and when I did, then I would get it. So I would just kind of follow instructions. I don't know if any of this is making sense, but that's how I go about it. Yeah, it's not only making sense, it's... uh... I think very helpful, you know, for other people to hear because we have so many intentional people that are, you know, desiring to write or, you know, in the process, I think is very important to that. So absolutely. Yeah. And so they would come in the day and the night, you would have dreams, they would find you. I love the openness, you know, in which you would, would have a blank page and say, you know, take the pen and write it. I love that. Well, it it takes a little bit of the stress away from it. You know, you're letting somebody else do it rather than you. So you you get rid of a a little bit of your self-criticism by thinking, you know, it's it's not really just me that's doing this. It's a whole group of muses. They're doing it. So if it doesn't come out right, you know, that's no sweat. It's not you. It just it's just a little relieving for me to feel like it's happening in that way and um you you do or at least i find i have to leave myself open day and night for the story um because it's going to show up it's it's actively showing up in the writing room when i'm committing that time but it also shows up outside the writing room you know they've got messages they want to talk to you you need to leave that channel open um so there's an aspect of this that is a little bit tiring and painful because you cannot shut it off. It's a, it's a little bit crazy-making, but it's also very exciting and um, just thrilling when you feel like you have communed and created something out of thin air. So you take these imaginary um, characters. They're, they're coming from the atmosphere, from the universal library, way up in the universe and you're dragging down the story you're attaching it to your computer you're writing it down and you're making it real and there's something very exciting about that process and and so for me it feels um both shamanic in a way um because of of this um conversation and uh change that you're making between yourself and the universe, but and it also feels like the closest I can possibly come to God. That that is my way of touching God's face, or whatever you want to call that. So I hope that helps. Mm, very powerful. What um, what is I, next? I will for you? say. I mean, oh, is oh, one of your ahead, books Temple. going to become a movie or? Excuse me, and what were you going to say? You will say, because you were kind of in a flow. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, what I was going to say is if anyone, uh, you know, whether it's you, Temple, because you're going to start writing a novel, or anybody that's listening that would like uh, advice or just a conversation around that, please feel free to contact me, and I would be very happy to help anyone on their on their way toward creating story. I think it's critical in our time. I think we need new myths. I think myths have helped and and um, changed our cultures from 
the beginning of time. That's how we relate. We relate to story. And so everybody's story is important. So if I can help somebody in some way, please contact me. Well, that's very nice of you. (laughs) Really being of service, right? Um, Yeah, I I think your whole story is very encouraging of, of how we can change and how we can move from structure to just the fluidity of life and uh, and knowing you can put something out there and, and the right things reveal itself that are supposed to come or supposed to reveal themselves. I'm talking to Deborah Gall. You can go to her website, debragall.com and find out about her books. And there's also a section on her website. You can t- contact her directly and, and get in touch with her. And thank you for for offering that. That's a, that's a really wonderful um, gesture, you know, for sure. (laughs) Absolutely. Small thing Um, to do. (laughs) What is next? What is next for you? Oh gosh. Um, Well, I, I actually uh, am working on another novel, although um, I'm also working on some short stories right now that I've collected over the years and I kind of want to button them up, but um, I'm, I'm, um, in the beginning stages of a new novel, and it's a little amorphous <clears throat> at this point, but it um, uh, it's based on uh, one or a part of the novel is based on an experience I had with a psychic macaw, which sounds very silly, but it was true. <laughs> so, Not to me. <laughs> it sounds great. <laughs> it's it's a lot of fun, but it's it's actually um, at least at this point, it's a story about four four women in Newport Beach who are searching for spirituality, which uh, for me is kind of an oxymoron in Newport Beach. It's a pretty plastic place. I mean, I love it here, but it's uh, it's uh, kind of a funny place filled with a lot of, um, you know, plastic surgery and big jewelry and kind of stuff that's a little bit false. So it's just fodder for for the um we have those cities here too in florida more so on the yeah, east course, coast but i know exactly they're, what they're, you mean <laughs> yeah of course they're mm-hmm. everywhere so anyway I'm so I'm, far, I'm having fun how with that story eyelashes how much Botox? i'm sorry i get it you smiling because i can't tell your face has a right. since we started talking <laughs> Oh my gosh! Oh my! I, I think we could do some real cutting up, you know. <laughs> yes, we could. Yes, we could. <laughs> well, so at any rate, I'm I'm having fun with that. We'll we'll see where it goes. It takes me, you know, it takes me a long time to write. So, um, I'm trying to uh, not to rush it. So, we'll see. But that's that's what's next for me, and. Uh, yeah, I think I think I'm at least in terms of careers from one thing to another, I think I'm done transforming. I think that writing is probably the last career. We'll, we'll hope for that at least. Mhm. At least that's what you think right now, right? It's like that's, that's the the journey. I I love the statement and it's certainly not mine, but I heard it from, you know, through the years is never say never. We just we don't know. <laughs> I love that. I, I'm just so glad to get comfortable enough with myself through the years that I don't need to know. I can imagine 
you know, I can, I can get excited, but, um, I love when I rise in the morning, I love to say, uh, Oh, great God. I'm, I'm so excited to be you today. What gets to happen? You know, what's going to yeah, occur? Isn't that you know, great? I have the eyes to see it and the heart to be open, to notice it. And, and, and like you're saying, to pay attention to the synchronicity. So whether it's a bird out the window or, Right. Uh, whether it's feeling the wind on your on your cheek, uh, just to pay attention. Um, yeah, I pay attention find... to details. And there's magic in connecting mm-hmm. all of those things that seem like they're a causal and yet they're grouping together. I just think um, tracking synchronicities is great fun because it kind of uh, is our way of... of transcending a little bit mm-hmm. so. the dots are the dots are everywhere you were talking about france and you know those kind of things and i um like you were saying you know i would um i used to be the kind of person get the work done first and then play um mm-hmm. until you live long enough that you're just still getting the work done <laughs> but um yeah. i was teaching i traveled a lot in here in the uk and i taught at healthcare and different corporations and stuff and Anyway, it was like a break, and this woman just, it was like she just wouldn't leave me alone, you know, and because I had an agenda, you know, like you were talking about earlier, I had an agenda, I had a, this is how I, I want to go take my break, what are you doing, why do you keep following me, you know, and, but she wanted to tell me all about visiting Monet's garden, and all of the experience, and she even went home during the next break and got a photo album. And I went, you know, it's just really clear that this is what's going down. You know, she is not going to take no or read my body language that I'm just kind of wow. half interested. Um, I've, I've thanked her so many times through the years of my life, you know. Um, I just... Um, I don't know how many times I couldn't tell you her name. Um, I could probably tell you where I met her, but it was just like a couple of years after that, that there I was standing in Monet's garden. I knew exactly where to go in Givernay. I knew all the things to do just because she had taken the time and insisted that I listen to her. I love that. And and that um, just reminds me that the small things we do, sometimes we have no idea what the impact is. The very small things we do can be the most important moment in someone's life. So if anybody ever feels like they're insignificant, there's just no way they are. It's impossible to be that way. Right? I mean, exactly. It's just, um, that's a, a part of maturity and, I, I think another part of maturity beyond the synchronicities is that um, expanding in your own life that everybody doesn't have to be like you. Right. You know, right. to be able to well, sit in a place of difference and disagreements and um, hang out with people that you don't understand. It doesn't mean they have to be your new BF, but it, it simply means that you can you can learn from sitting in a space of understanding and asking questions. It's just, um, well, today we've had two people that love life and that's very obvious. I get that you do you and your new journey with your beautiful husband and, uh, you have feral cats and, uh, you're my kind of gal. (laughs) I was reading about all your nature stuff. Um, you know, and just having that, um, the life that you have. 
So, you know, well, good for you life, because you have let yourself receive all these beautiful things. Yeah. Life is magical, and I think there's everyday magic, and it's beautiful to come into touch with that. And that's my hope for everybody listening, that they make space for that. Well. Well, in our in our closing time together, uh, thank you everyone for tuning in, and remember to come onto TempleHaze.com and contact me. I'd love to hear the kind of shows you'd like to hear, or certain guests that we've had. If you'd like to have them back, I mean, this is all about you know doing it so we can all uh, evolve together. And definitely contact Deborah Gall, and especially if you're interested in writing a book or you have questions about it. Um, she offered, and I can already tell she's not the type of person to offer it if she didn't mean it. That's for sure. <laughs> that is so, Deborah, what are your closing words for us today? Um, gosh, I've had such a good time, Temple, and uh, I, I admire your journey. And uh, it's been just a pleasure to be here and, and share um, what I've learned from allowing myself to stop being hard and accept softness and creativity as a way through. Mm. That's kind of our, our woven theme throughout the day, isn't it? Is uh, I will be gentle with myself. And that's oh, a like practice. That. It's, right? It's like a daily practice just to be gentle with yourself and allow life to unfold. And um, I think you nailed well, it when you said that... Um, you said just something to elaborate earlier. on yourself and your children, uh, like the the secret, the deep secret is just just to learn how to be, let yourself yeah. be loved. Yeah, and and not to and you said it, not to worry about what comes next because it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. It could be something fantastic, but you know, it whatever it is, you'll you'll be able to make that challenge. We'll be able to make it. I bless you, dear one. Thank you so much for sharing your time. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.